Welcome to Ahead in the Cloud, where business leaders share what they've learned on their cloud journey. I'm Chad Watt, Emphasis Knowledge Institute researcher and writer, here today with Imri Kazim, an AI research fellow at University College of London and co-founder of Holistic AI, an AI risk management and auditing firm. We're going to discuss artificial intelligence and ethics. Emery, welcome. Thanks for having me. Really excited to join this chat. What is the current focus of your research work at UCL? So at UCL, we're really interested in foundational questions about how do you go about assessing an algorithm. So it's a new thing, right? I mean, what is first, you know, people will say, what is AI? Uh, and then secondly, let it know, what does it mean to do an assessment, a risk assessment or an ethical assessment of an algorithm? So we're really interested in those kind of questions and also the questions around how to regulate algorithms. Emery, let's go there. Uh, what is AI? So we can think of AI uh, in a number of ways, and probably the most simple way of thinking about AI is just automation. Systems that automate or replicate decisions and activities that would have been traditionally the purview of human discretion or decision-making. That's at a very high level, effectively, what we're describing. When we talk about it in a more technical way, then we go into different kinds of systems, different kinds of technologies, and so on. And then we have a more specific definition for things like advanced statistics, machine learning, and then artificial intelligence and then general artificial intelligence. But really, the way we're using it generally is quite lay and just about automation. Got it. Let me extend on that real quick. In the context of artificial intelligence, uh, what is an algorithm? It's just literally, uh, if you will, a sequence of steps that you take to get to a particular result or a methodology of getting to particular kinds of results. Tell me a little bit about Holistic AI. What led you and Adriano Koshiyama to start this uh, enterprise called Holistic AI? Chad, we, we were doing this research and, um, you know, the way I make the analogy with our students and other people around is, you know, studying the ethics of algorithms is the equivalent of, and not doing it in industry or in the world, is the equivalent of studying medicine and not spending a day in the hospital. We really wanted to have impact. We wanted to do this in the real world. And we were just engaging and doing stuff with industry and we'd say, hey, look, we really want to make an impact. We really want to get this to have maximum, you know, coverage and just like be able to truly explore this. So we spun the company out of the back of that. So between your academic research and your business activities, what is it that business leaders most commonly get wrong about AI? I think the problem that they get wrong is they think it's something that's still in the science fiction role. So it's still just this kind of really weird and wacky technology that's you know, robots taking over. It's just automation to understand that this is automation. This is the logical conclusion of the digital transformation. And the next wave is, if you will, the algorithmic age. So the last decade was dominated by data and this decade will be dominated by algorithms. That's a fascinating thought. That makes a lot of sense. What was the catalyst? Why are we talking about this so much right now? How do we get from the information age to this algorithmic age? The, the time where every business is jumping into AI somehow. So you know what, it's a couple things. I think the first thing is uh, to say that there's been a maturity in the technology. So um, we've got these vast data sets, huge data sets that have emerged as a result of the digital infrastructure that's been in place since the internet, effectively. Uh, and all of a sudden you've got what is what you would need for a machine learning model, which is a, a, a really 
robust and powerful training data. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we've got computational power uh, that we never had before. Um, and the marriage of the computational power with the data sets is really what's giving birth to this current AI paradigm, the specific area of AI that we're doing. The second kind of question that I lays with that is, so we've got this explosion in algorithmic use. It's just to make sense, you know, uh, companies have to automate to remain competitive, but automating uh, brings with it existential risks. And the trustworthy AI side, if you will, is a natural corollary to the adoption of algorithms. As algorithms uh, use scales, the risk management frameworks are going to scale too. I want to come back to automation. Automation predates artificial intelligence. Computers and programming have been doing some forms of automation. What is different about AI-driven automation compared with kind of process programmatic automation, I would call it? So if the way I try to step back on that and just say, actually, it's probably just, it really is just about the capabilities of the modern algorithmic techniques uh, as compared to the traditional ones. So you're right, absolutely right. We've imagined how robust the use of algorithms were, for example, in when they put the rocket onto the moon or into space, in the aeronautical industries uh, and so on. So yes, absolutely. You know, Turing was doing this, what was it, 60 or so years ago. Right, right. And in that context, some of our research at the Knowledge Institute led us to the position that AI itself is not new, but it is very much newly democratized and available to companies of a wide range of technological proficiency. Do you concur? And what's the thing that led to this? Yeah, so I think one of the things that's really interesting is if you ask people how many times are using an algorithm or what's an AI, you know, for some reason, Google doesn't spring to mind. But every one of us is doing a search, God knows how many times a day. So we've been using algorithms, as you said, from very early on. I think it's the impact that it's having, given that it's, it's this kind of acceleration, it's a kind of Cambrian explosion of these digital technologies occurring at the same time. You know, you've got me thinking, Emery, about the pre-Google searches we would do on the internet. I'm old enough to remember you had to have a little bit of a Boolean logic and you had to kind of finesse your search to get any decent result. And then Google came along and you could pretty much speak normal to it or type normal. And now we're getting to the stage where you're having conversations with AI. Yeah, it's this generative uh, stuff has been really interesting because it's caught the imagination with such a, uh, as a kind of real litmus and explosion there. And uh, I was testing it myself, you know, it was out, out of my own curiosity. And we actually put in the question about what's ethical AI. And I thought this is one of the funniest stories um, I remember is hearing from someone in Silicon Valley where, they were, where people were saying, you know, how are you going to deal with the problem of, of AI ethics? And they were like, it's not a problem, no worries. Uh, all we're going to do is build in a powerful enough algorithm and then we're going to ask it, how do you behave ethically? Or what is the ethical status and it's going to spit the answer back to us so uh, it's like letting your child set their own bedtime and dinner schedule yeah i mean it's of course it's ridiculous uh, but it was funny to hear that but it's just also interesting because people are playing with it and what we notice is that um there is a relationship this is a, a hypothesis that there's a relationship between the proximity you have to a technology development and understanding of the technology and how much one fears it so the traditional communities where technology was being done upon them are the kind of communities that are fearful of the algorithmic age, if you will. They've had a legacy of bad experiences, maybe through surveillance or whatever other means, and they feel the same about it. Whereas, let's say, engineers who are playing with this toy every day don't have that kind of fear. So there is a relationship between proximity and um, in the development of the technology or ownership of the technology and fear of it, an inverse relationship, I should say. Does that proximity really lead to understanding? Do we really understand what AI is doing? So there's two kinds of question, I think. There's one question about when we say, what is it doing? 
in a way, if you ask someone what Google does, most people would understand it, right? It's able to search information on your behalf uh, and rank that information or order that information in a way which it thinks is the most consumed or consumable way. Understanding what it does in the sense of what the hell is going on behind the screen, what's happening in the black box, is a different kind of question. And it's, that's the kind of question which, when you do need to have the kind of expertise and so on, which is the kind of stuff that we're doing. So that's really where we are. What's happening now is the impetus through regulation and through kind of market motivations and customers' concern is how can we maximize the transparency in this space so that we can understand why is Google's algorithm ranking this search above another? Why this term above another term? Why conjugating these words to with each other and so on and so forth? So the real question is really being able to maximize transparency. So... When I think about AI ethics, you guys were thinking about digital ethics, but a lot of, I think, the regulation, and this is always the case with regulation and oversight, it's a reaction to a bad outcome. We hear stories of biased AI or AI going wrong or language models that are just inherently racist about who goes into a bar, what it says about them. These sort of models, how do you make AI ethics that's proactive and not just kind of reacting and band-aiding over things that we've seen go incorrect? Fantastic question, Chad. Because what, what I've noticed is that sometimes you can have, and this is for want of a better phrase, a moral panic where you have this real high profile case of harm. It could be a manipulation in the democratic process. Uh, there are other cases where algorithms were used, for example, to determine how long is people's uh, criminal justice, how long their sentences should be. People were saying, oh my God, these are horribly biased systems. And they're sending people from particular demographics into prison, also recommending that they go for prison much longer than other, let's say, more protected groups or less discriminated against groups. And then there's another one, which is the use of algorithms in CV sieving. So the recommending of, let's say, men over women systematically for a particular role. So you've got all these kind of cases which legitimately make people say, hey, 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 we don't want to have this. We don't want to have uh, algorithms being used in this way. And then this precipitates those kind of uh, regulatory interventions, which are reactive. And we can talk about that. For example, the EU laws are in some ways very similar to that. But I think what we need to do is probably the technology is always ahead of the regulation. And it's really about pressuring industry and maintaining our kind of consciousness to say, you know, demanding that we want to know how these systems are being used. What are the controls in place? How can you validate that these systems are indeed working well? How do you prove that these are the proper steps and that they are actually in place and functioning in an organization? So I think the first thing to do is to take the problem seriously. The way to take the problem seriously is basically to put in good processes that are able to evidence and validate that you have taken the problem seriously. So one way to do that, for example, is to say, do you have a risk management process in place regarding the use of your algorithms? Secondly, are you aware of the use of algorithms across your business? So one of the things that we found as a business, um, as a company, is we often go in and we say, the first question we ask is how many systems do you actually have? And I can tell you, them is anyone able to actually answer that question so we can do that before we have to be able to do the risk management so you mentioned risk management as we've said ai ethics is a new field risk management is something that we have experience with are there some other established areas you can use to build the foundation of ai ethics and bring kind of business practices or known quantities to build a foundation so one thing that we found is that actually in a business context is top down you need a mandate from the c-suite to say, look, take this problem seriously and act on it. 
I think the reason for that is because all companies have, you know, big industry has risk management processes in place. And um, and risk management is generally considered a negative thing from an innovation and a an operational uh, perspective because it's... An right. Edge. It's compliance. It slows you down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a negative uh, aspect. But what we found is actually we've had all of our fruits and our positive engagements by working with the innovation teams in companies and saying, hey, hang on a minute, being able to say you've got good control over your algorithmic systems, but you're able to justify that they're used responsibly is a technical question, is a good kind of to put into your technical architecture rather than just simply a compliance. It's like, yes, we do compliance, but we do just so much more. We did our research report, Data and AI Radar. We found that companies with good confidence in their ethical practices were more satisfied with their AI outputs. And we had seven different measures of AI ethics. We kind of deconstructed this. Uh, one, are you getting clear, useful outputs? Two, are your algorithms explainable? Are you have, do you have processes to detect bias, incentives to detect bias? Can you clearly show where the data came from? And do you have good data stewardship? And do the models make sense? Are they understandable to the outside? Of those kind of seven things, which of those are the right ones? Did we identify the right ones? Did we leave anything out? And which ones uh, matter most to you? Yeah, so I think probably it just depends on the use of where the systems are being used. So for example, detecting the processes to detect bias are, are super critical in the context where they're really going to have an impact on customers or individuals' life prospects. It just depends on where things are being used. But generally speaking, in terms of the uh, the first one, clearing useful outputs, critically and, and fundamentally, ensuring that the systems are working is, is obviously the principal objective. And then if you've got a system that's unreliable, that's as consistent consistently producing, uh, if you will, results that just don't replicate themselves, then you can't really do any of the other assessments because it's just not a good system. So good engineering is really at the root of all of this. Where do you see a major AI breakthrough? We've been talking about generative AI already. Is that the area or is there some other area? In 2023, I think it, the big event will probably be these those generative AI models. I think let's see what the consequence of them are more generally on the ecosystem. Um, and I think probably actually the big story in AI is probably the regulation that's coming in. It's likely that the EU AI Act will pass next year and there's going to be intended and unintended consequences on the AI marketplace. It could mean that uh, ecosystems outside of the UK and Europe, Europe in particular, um, really take the lead in the innovative side of uh, AI. And uh, in the context of business AI, what progress do you expect from business AI, particularly among non-technology companies, not the Googles and the Apples in the world, these generalists who are getting into AI? I think that's really where the real growth is. I think that it's the automation in companies uh, that traditionally were not using such technologies. I think that it's really been understood and, and seen and we see through the numbers that the AI adoption is just moving exponentially up uh, and this is having a significant impact on the technology adoption and on the implications of these systems in sectors outside of traditional technology that we know of. Good, good. All right, Emery, are you ready for a lightning round? Go for it, yeah. <laughs> okay okay let's start in chemistry what's your favorite element or compound oh, silicon <laughs> good answer philosophy is human nature fundamentally good or evil oh absolutely good no doubt in my mind about that why how prove it if you look at it from an aggregate level if you look at it generally i think if humanity was in its core nefarious i don't think we would have got this far all right ethics what are our moral obligations to each other? Foundational respect uh, and empathy. So I'm a Kantian in that respect. 
Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, AI question. Will we see artificial general intelligence before the turn of the next century? No. No. Okay, <laughs> that's fine by me. And in that same sort of time frame, will society develop, agree, and abide by clear definitions of AI ethics? No. Ethics is the realm of substantive moral difference, and that will continue until no human beings exist anymore. So philosophy majors can have a job. Well, you know what? If philosophers had definitive answers, then we'd, yeah, they would be out of the job. So probably we should remain in the realm of ambiguity. Got it. Got it. Thank you, Emery Kazim, for your time and your insights today. This was fun. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. Really appreciate it. This podcast is part of our collaboration with MIT Tech Review in partnership with Emphasis Cobalt. Visit our content hub on technologyreview.com to learn more about how businesses across the globe are moving from cloud chaos to cloud clarity. Be sure to follow Ahead in the Cloud wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more details in our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com slash IKI in our podcast session. Thanks to our producers, Catherine Burdett, Christine Calhoun, and Yulia Dabari. Dode Bigley is our audio technician. I'm Chad Watt with the Emphasis Knowledge Institute signing off. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.